the needle on the record. Welcome to Wage Cucking with JMO. All right, guys, uh, welcome to another episode of Wage Cucking with Jamo. We were on a brief hiatus, uh, but we're back today with a guest, um, Dion from Term Finance. Dion, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Uh, before we get started, uh, you, want me, uh, you want to give me a quick intro as to your background, um, how you got into crypto and how Term Finance uh, came to be? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my background is uh, in traditional finance. Started my career in 06 at a hedge fund in New York called D.E. Shaw. Was here for a couple of years, was interested in public policy, so moved down to D.C. to join the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. Was there from 07 to 09, so bracketing the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. And um, it was definitely an interesting time to be there, just you know, given what was going down with the economy and financial markets. But uh, ultimately, it was a two-year program. Uh, given my exposure in D.C., decided to get a law degree, mm -hmm. ultimately graduating with a degree from Harvard, but knew pretty early on I didn't want to practice law. So after I graduated, came back to New York, started a career as a government bond trader, trading U.S. government bonds, mm -hmm. both on the sell side and on the buy side. And then a few years ago, decided to kind of take a step back, start a small family office, just, um, you know, investing you know, some small money for friends and family. And then that process got into, into DeFi. So, you know, crypto story, you know, I think it was back in 2013, law school classmate of mine, you know, shows up at my birthday party and he's popping magnums of champagne. I'm like, yo, dude, it's cool. You don't need to do this. It's like, oh, it's all good. It's Bitcoin money. I'm like, what's Bitcoin? This is the first <laughs> time it hit a thousand. So, you know, he's like, oh, I'm rich. Um, so you told me, you convinced me to just like DCA into Bitcoin, you know, drop back down to like two, 300 after that rally. Um, and for the longest time, I was like a Bitcoin max, wouldn't touch anything else besides Bitcoin. I think about a little bit of ETH and I was like, nah, no, I'd rather go back to my Bitcoin. But um, yeah, it was like a few years ago, a friend came. Um, he actually lives out in Thailand as well. But he's telling me about like all these different coins, you know, farming. So I started playing around Ethereum and it's just super fascinating, you know, the ability to swap tokens on chain, borrow and lend, just all these different things you couldn't do with just like straight, mm -hmm. you know, Bitcoin ledger that tracks only one number. So as part of that process, I started to advise various crypto projects. Um, and one of those projects I served as a Dow treasury manager. Um, and it's kind of in that role, managing short-term liquidity for a Dow, where I started to see kind of, you know, Aave and Compound are awesome floating rate product, but it's really hard to forecast and budget when, you know, have floating interest rates. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, if you want to borrow, there's no way to lock in the cost of funding. Mm -hmm. So it can be pretty uncomfortable. So that's sort of like the genesis of, uh, of term. Uh, yeah. So going off of that, uh, before we get to talking about how term actually works, um, I wanted to get your take of, the, the current ecosystem that exists right now um, with the big players in the, the space, especially with the borrow lending platform. You mentioned Aave and Compound. I, I think Aave is probably like um, 
but but by far the the biggest player now. I mean, they're deployed on like a million chains. So they they have uh, quite a bit of TVL. Um, but you talk about one of the issues being that this this floating rate. Um, so for the, for the listeners or watchers who don't know, essentially the way Ave works is you can deposit like a certain number of assets um, and then borrow other assets. Um, and the interest rates you're paying on the borrow is variable based on like the demand versus supply. So if like the, if there are more people borrowing the same asset that you're borrowing, the uh, the interest rates will fluctuate upwards. If there's less demand for the assets that you're borrowing, the interest rates will uh, fluctuate downwards. Um, the, the inherent issue in this is that, um, especially for like the bigger positions or say the in institutions that want to uh, borrow assets on chain, um, e even if the interest rates are lower or higher, like the issue is, is that they're a bit unpredictable, right? Like you, you can't anticipate having like a long-term, um, loan on any of these platforms and like sort of figure out like how much interest you're paying over a year because like the, the, the rate fluctuates daily. Um, so yeah, did, talk a little bit about like the current ecosystem and like what, what problems do you see with the traditional borrow lend platforms? Yeah, for sure. You know, so obviously I don't want to knock Aave. Aave is amazing. Honestly, what they've put together, you know, they've put together the gold standard for, you know, floating rate borrow lend on chain. And they have the most liquidity by far. Um, you know, I think last I checked, it's like three to five billion. It's, and, and the peak of the last bull market, you know, got to like over 20, 30 billion, which is nuts. Um, but yeah, there are, you know, some drawbacks to the existing model, as you kind of alluded to. Um, it is a floating rate because the terms are open-ended. You can borrow for as little or as long as you like, and you can lend for as little or as long as you like. And because of that, the interest rate is necessarily a floating rate based on supply and demand at any point in time. Um, and the way that they implement this uh, I think a lot of people don't realize part of it is algorithmic and part of it is centralized or decided by the DAO. Mm -hmm. So the way that these protocols like Aave work is any token that's deposited supplied can be borrowed. Um, and to ensure that, you know, there's liquidity for people who want to exit while there might be outstanding loans, they have to reserve a certain buffer that allows them to have some liquidity for withdrawals. So typically they have a flat interest rate curve where it goes from zero to some base rate up to some optimal reserve amount, say 90% for stable coins. Mm -hmm. And once it hits, once the borrow demand goes beyond 90% utilization, the interest rate starts to spike up uh, mm -hmm. rather rapidly. Um, so they call it the Ave kink. And where that kind of rate tops out before the kink kicks in, that's determined by the DAO. Um, what you see is that when demand, borrow demand starts to increase rapidly, where that base rate at the kink is too low based on market demand, then you enter that kink where interest rates start jumping up and down quite wildly. And we've seen this now for about the past two, three months, where within a single day, depending on what time you log on to Aave, the borrow rate might display 5% or it might display over 20%. And all of this within a single day. 
that we've seen over the past three months, this will happen on multiple days a week. And it's been going on for multiple months now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for a casual user who just hops on Aave, you have no idea what you're paying. You know, you log on an hour from now, it might say 15%, two hours from now, it might say seven. It's yeah. just jumping around. The, the, the number on the UI is um, pretty irrelevant at this point, right? Like if, if you log on and like you look at the user interface, um, you're, it changes. Like e- even if you have like a, a, a bigger position or like, for example, if you just want to be on the supply side and you see like the, the, the certain APY for supply, if you deposit like because of your deposit, um, it, it increases the supply with, without increasing the, the borrows. And then like the API can fluctuate quite a bit just by like a single deposit or a single transaction. So um, it, I feel like it's pretty difficult for people to gauge like how much they're actually getting by supplying and then also how, how much they're paying by borrowing, which is kind of an issue, especially if you're using um, like a protocol like Aave with size, where like there's a huge difference between saying paying like three to 5% APY borrows on stables and paying like 30 or 40% over the course of like a week or a month. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Um, you know, just like looking at the historical averages, like the 30 day moving average borrow rate for USDC is about 7.8%. Mm-hmm. But unless you are, you know, tracking this data, you know, on a daily basis, it's really hard for anybody to know just by looking at the UI, um, mm-hmm. what that number is. It's been coming up pretty rapidly. Just a month ago, this is around 7%. A month before that, 30-day moving average is around 6, 6.5. And people remember from just, you know, Q2, early Q3 of this year, rates were below 4. So it has gone up rather rapidly in the past few months. Uh Um, Yeah. So uh, moving on a bit, I want to talk a little bit about how term works, um, because I, I feel like there haven't been that many like very good uh, DeFi primitives. I mean, like a lot of the, the new DeFi protocols coming out are sort of like we talk about Aave, that there's probably like 100 exact clones or very close to exact clones of Aave that maybe have, you know, like a, a slightly different tokenomics, uh, like a feature or two. But like the, the core product is uh, maybe like 90 to 95 percent the, the same thing. But uh, I feel like term is a bit different. Um, I, I guess like, let's, let's start there, like talk about exactly how, how term works and how they offer fixed rate loans. Yeah. So I usually like to start with what's similar. You know, we are, Kave is collateralized borrow lend with a floating rate and an open-ended term. Mm-hmm. Term finance offers, again, collateralized borrow lend, except we have a fixed interest rate and a fixed term of the loan. So there's a specific date where the loan matures and must be repaid. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of what term is trying to offer on a base level. I think, you know, the key innovation to, you know, previous iterations of fixed rate lending is that, you know, we believe a much more scalable model, right? The ability mm-hmm. to match volumes, you know, in the millions without any slippage. And the way we do that is a rather, you know, old mechanism. It's actually been around for a few hundred years and it's a simple auction model. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my prior life as a government bond trader, I had participated in hundreds of U.S. government bond auctions. It's typically a single price sealed bid auction. And every G7 country to this day also uses an auction method to issue new bonds. 
And so what we've done is take this auction model and built it on chain to match borrowers and lenders, where the interest rate that comes out of the auction is a rate that the borrowers and lenders uh, transact. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about the auction process, uh, how exactly it works. So like, for example, um, I guess on both ends, both the, the borrow and lend side. So if I'm interested in um, borrowing stable coins or I'm interested in lending stable coins, how would the process um, or what process would I go through on term um, to provide these loans or to, to borrow assets? Yeah, so the process, um, I guess, first thing to know is that with these auctions, it's sort of a coordination mechanism. And that's why it works well. Uh-huh. You kind of announce ahead of time. We have a weekly cadence where these auctions occur, typically on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So by doing this, you batch liquidity. Everybody who wants to trade is just going to wait for a certain day and trade at a single point uh-huh. in time. Uh, these auctions typically happen, as I mentioned, Wednesdays and Thursdays. And the auctions open in the beginning of the week on Monday. So uh-huh. at any time, point in time between Monday and Wednesday, a user can log on. You can look at the auction calendar. We have details about when the auction closes, what the supply token is, and what the collateral token is that's backing the loan. Mm-hmm. It'll also tell you the term of the loan. So typically we've been holding loans with four week duration and 13 week duration, mm-hmm. but really it could be you know any term, probably up to like say one year. Mm-hmm. Once you click into the auction, you'll see some additional information like the collateralization ratio. So this is sort of, you know, how much collateral you need to back every dollar of loan that you take out as a bar. To participate, you can participate as a lender or a borrower. So on the lending side, you would just submit an offer. The offer form will ask you to specify how much of the supply token you want to lend. And then also, specify a minimum interest rate that you're willing to lend at. Mm -hmm. Um, It's important to note that the interest rate that you submit will be hashed on chain. These are sealed bid auctions, so nobody can see the rate that you submitted. Mm -hmm. Um, And in doing so, you can feel comfortable knowing that you will never do worse than the interest rate that you submit, but you may potentially do better. Mm -hmm. Um, Once you click submit, you're Supply token will get locked in the smart contract for the remainder of the auction. And that's just to ensure that, you know, we can clear it and you won't disappear on us uh, when the auction comes time to, uh, to clear. Mm-hmm. On, the, on the borrow side, it's a very similar process. So you would specify as a borrower the amount that you're looking to borrow. Then you would specify the maximum interest rate that you're willing to pay on the loan. Um, As before, this interest rate will be hashed on chain, so nobody knows what that rate is, it's hidden. Mm -hmm. So you can feel comfortable knowing that you won't do worse than that rate, but you again may potentially uh, do better. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, we'll ask you to specify how much collateral you wanna post. Um, There will be a minimum requirement, but you can always post more if you want some extra buffer against liquidations. And in both cases, you can submit multiple offers or bids within a single transaction. So if you want to spread out these orders, you can do so. Mm-hmm. Um, once the auction closes at the specified time, 
no further bids or offers would be submitted into the auction. What the smart contract will do is run an algorithm that determines the single price, the single interest rate that maximizes the volume matched mm-hmm. between borrowers and lenders, where any borrower that's willing to pay at or above the clearing rate receives a loan mm-hmm. and any lender that's willing to lend at or below the clearing rate makes a loan mm-hmm. in both cases at that single clearing rate. Mm-hmm. So, so really the, drive the, the entire auction at the end of the process, the entire auction, there's, there's one clearing rate for, for everyone that's involved in the auction. Right. So like it just like uh, it sort of figures out like what is the maximum utility for both the lenders and buyers? Like how how can we maximize the expected value where like the majority of people that are um, that are participating in the auction get to participate it uh, within like a a certain range or time or like a certain range of bids. And then like going from there, you settle on a price where like you try to include as many of the participants uh, in the the auction as possible. Exactly. If you people have taken econ, it's kind of like the supply and demand curve where they mm-hmm. intersect. Um, yeah, that essentially, makes sense. what the smart contract does. Um, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about um, the collateral um, in terms of what types of. So, I, I imagine most the auctions are for borrowing stable coins. Is that correct? It could be really any ERC twenty. Uh-huh. Um, our most popular auctions have been borrowing stable coins, uh-huh. and the second most popular is borrowing ETH. Okay, okay, interesting. Um, so, and then the collateral provided, I assume, um, it's either other stables, Ethereum, or like uh, derivatives of Ethereum, like uh, liquid staking tokens as well. Yeah, so really, it could be any ERC twenty, but the mm-hmm. most popular collateral tokens tend to be yield bearing tokens. Uh-huh. So wrap stake ETH is very popular. Yeah, you can earn on your collateral, and that helps to defray the cost of your borrowing. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I think that's an interesting point um, that we can talk about because I feel like that there's a pretty big push recently for um, native real world assets, whatever you want to call them, or yield bearing assets on chain. Um, so one of the disadvantages I, I, I see with this platform compared to something like Aave, well, I wouldn't say a disadvantage, but like in terms of like the overall yield side is that it, like, for example, if you deposit collateral on, on Aave, you're earning yield on that collateral, regardless of if it's a real world asset or a yield bearing asset or not, because with that, that collateral is then uh, re-lent out on the platform to, to people that may borrow collateral, which um, in my eyes, maybe a good or maybe a bad thing. Obviously, the the, the good part is you um, generate more yield. The bad part is you also inherit more protocol risk because now, like the the, the protocol doesn't have like the specific asset that um, that you're depositing, and if it's lent out and and being collateralized by like a shadier asset or like a less liquid asset, it can lead to possible some downside risks, some some uh, bad debt on the platform. Yeah, so um, I'm wondering your takes on that. Do you, do you think there's like risk in the Ave model um, in terms of like the the way they handle their their collateral? Um, basically, on Ave, unless like a pool is isolated, you essentially can deposit like whatever asset and borrow whatever asset you want, and then like your your collateral is also lent out to anyone else that uses the platform, and they can deposit whatever asset that they that they choose to deposit as collateral and, and borrow your asset. 
Yeah, no, I think that's Ave's greatest strength and also greatest weakness. Um, I think the reason why Ave has gone so much adoption is this rehypothecation that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. When you supply an asset as collateral, it is simultaneously also then can be relent out. Mm -hmm. And so people who are lending, you know, the supply that's being borrowed in many cases is just being used as collateral for some other borrow. And that's what makes Aave super capital efficient. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why they're able to attract a lot of supply because the suppliers aren't actually there to supply, they're there to borrow. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of a byproduct of their collateralization that it creates further supply for other people to borrow. So that, that's what makes Aave super capital efficient. And I think that's why they've grown so much, you know, to the point where they actually outpaced compound. Mm -hmm. um, but this does come with some risks. When you rehypothecate, that means that the collateral that you have deposited into Aave isn't actually there. Um, in most cases, the withdrawals are, you know, coming in just like kind of like a bank, small amounts each day then as long as you hold some reserve and that buffer is enough to satisfy any withdrawals and you have this interest rate kink mechanism that kind of mm -hmm. will disincentivize uh, or bring in more capital, then it works. But lurking underneath this entire system is that, you know, potentially room for a bank run mm -hmm. where if everybody decides at the same point, oh, there's not enough tokens there, mm -hmm. I better get it before somebody else does then the whole system can collapse. So it's very much like a traditional bank run uh, with mm -hmm. fractional reserves. Um, the other, I guess, same thing, the strength and weakness is that Aave has these collateral pools and you can, you know, mix and match, borrow against mm -hmm. and lend against, you know, anything, any collateral token within that pool. But I think what people have seen recently with Curve is that that creates some contagion risk. Mm -hmm where any one collateral within that basket, you know, becomes questionable, then that threatens, you know, everybody who's borrowing or lending in that entire basket. Um, so I wouldn't say it's necessarily a bad thing. It is just a risk and it does have benefits that offset that risk, which is the capital efficiency. They would turn, we could opt for a different model where we uh -huh. isolate all the collateral. So that's kind of yeah, um, I think that makes sense. Obviously, there's advantages and disadvantages to to both. Um, I, I think we've seen a lot of the the instances of, I mean, Ave and similar haven't really like gone down, but I, I feel like there have been like a decent amount of risky positions. Um, like the the biggest one that came to recent memory uh, was Michael Ergov's curve position. Um, so basically, yeah. he he had like a very large percentage of the on-chain float of Curve and he was borrowing stable coins against it. Um, and the, the interesting thing about the way that these platforms work is that um, essentially you need to maintain certain collateral ratios and the collateral ratios are determined from, from asset to asset. So like the, the, um, the, the more stable, I guess you call them, like the higher market cap, more, more um, fundamentally liquid, um, assets you can borrow more against the, the smaller cap or riskier ones um, you can borrow less against, which makes sense. Um, but it, it's interesting because like, for example, if, if I deposit curve, um, like I'm going to deposit a small amount of curve and, and borrow a small amount of dollars. But if you have like 30% of the, the on-chain curve or whatever it was deposited in, into one market, sure. um, 
the, the, the way collateral is calculated is basically you use on-chain oracles or whatever, basically an oracle will spit at a price speed that the price will determine the value of the collateral. But like things change very quickly when uh, the, the, the market price of these assets doesn't necessarily reflect the liquidity of these assets. So like if you go down from, from asset to asset, they have varying on-chain liquidities. Um, yes, yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about like liquidations and how exactly you, you protect from bad debt because I see like one of the biggest problems of, the, of these platforms is um, that uh, if, if someone opens up like, like a very big position with like even, I, I wouldn't say curve, the token is a, like even like you get a questionable or, or, or shady asset, but like the, we, we see at, at some points, like the on-chain liquidity for even such like a larger market cap asset is fairly limited, um, where if a liquidation event did occur, it would incur like quite a bit of bad data on the platform because like all the USD is, uh, is, is lent out. You have a lot of curve. If you liquidate the data curve, it would cause like cascading liquidations. It would drive the price down even further where the, the um like the oracle price isn't going to be close to the price you're going to get on your liquidation um yeah so, so so talk a little bit about that and like um how liquidations on or i guess oracle pricing liquidations on term work yeah so you're absolutely right every lending protocol there's an implicit assumption that you can sell the collateral at the oracle price mm -hmm. or close to it and the buffer, the over collateralization ratio, that buffer is meant to be address any slippage that might come. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you take the Oracle price, even if there's slippage, hopefully, you know, the 25%, 20% extra buffer, you know, after you take out incentives for liquidators will be sufficient to cover any potential slippage. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there is this implicit assumption that not a lot of casual users are thinking about. And, um, you know, personally, when I think about, you know, what is the cap on borrowing, you really want to think about what is the most that you think you can liquidate within a single block mm -hmm. before the slippage exceeds that buffer that you've built in to the protocol. Um, you know, for us, we fo we're focusing first on highly liquid blue chip assets. So wrap stake ETH as collateral, mm -hmm. um, SDI as collateral. So with these tokens, you know, you can expect relatively deep markets um, that can handle, you know, potentially millions, tens of millions in liquidations without any significant impact mm -hmm. on, you know, its underlying price. But yeah, once you talk about tokens like Curve and given the limited float that's actually in circulation, that's not locked up in BE, mm -hmm. um, on-chain liquidity is actually quite limited. I think a good rule of thumb is you never want to be more than 10% of on-chain liquidity, mm -hmm. right? Because at a certain point, based on the constant product pricing mechanism, beyond 10%, that price is going way out of your range. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just kind of like a back of the mind heuristic that I follow when thinking about these um, smaller market cap coins. I think the good thing, though, about having isolated pools or isolated pool model is that it really forces the lenders to think about the collateral risk that they're taking mm -hmm. because they're taking collateral risk with respect to only one token. Mm -hmm. If the lender is willing to take the risk, then it's really up to them. I think part of the problem with Aave was that for a lot of casual users, they didn't even realize that was a risk that they were taking. Yeah. And when it happens, like, oh shit, I didn't know that was happening. Now I know 
I better think about that next time. So part of it's just lack of education. Um, Cause maybe it's okay if you're taking that risk, if you're getting paid for it and yeah. you're charging for that risk, but I just don't think people are even factoring that in. And, um, and in all fairness, I should clarify that like nothing actually happened to these like Ave positions, but um, like right now we're basically speaking hypothetically where like if, I mean, maybe not exactly hypothetically since at some point they were at risk, but like the, the whole curve situation sort of played out okay, where like uh, the Ave users didn't actually like lose any funds. There wasn't bad debt um, issued on the platform, but like it, it just it just shows like a hypothetical vulnerability of, of the the way Ave and similar uh, products are run where like large market movements within certain coins compounded with um, lack of on-chain liquidity can cause quite a bit of, of, of problems for a lot of these protocols. Yeah, no, for sure. I think luckily it wasn't a problem and I was really impressed how Egroff got, you know, all these tokens distributed into yeah. <laughs> private placements and got it off Ave. And, you know, that's a real, I mean, for him, he could have just said, screw it. I'll take the money and leave. Yeah, yeah. Pay it. He could have just left his curve to get liquidated and like ruin. Yeah, just have the cash and you'd be good. Yeah. But yeah, he, you know, saved the ecosystem. So that was good on him. Um, but yeah, it was like a wake up call. Luckily, nobody got hurt. But it was a wake up call that, hey, you should be thinking about these risks mm -hmm. um, when you go into Ave. Uh, uh, yeah, so um, the the forms of collateral I noticed in the site, or uh, I, I think you mentioned as well, um, but you're using um, the the stake wrapped Ethereum, the Lido stake wrapped Ethereum, which is essentially, uh, it's not, I, I guess people are referring to anything that generates like native yield as a real world asset, even though like I wouldn't consider stake wrapped Ethereum a real world asset, but um, and you're also also offering SDI, which is the the Spark protocol. Um, the die spark protocol essentially you deposit die into SDI and the SDI generates yield from depositing um, the underlying assets into real world assets. Uh, I feel like there's been quite a bit of push um, for either like real yield on chain uh, assets um, or like yield bearing assets. Like we, we saw something like um, like Mantra and Blast, basically like Ethereum layer twos that have. Um, talked about launching where essentially like every asset on on their chain will be like a, a yield bearing asset um and then the, the, there have been quite a few companies that are trying to uh build um protocols or, or bring real world assets uh to chain um so i guess talk a little bit about this trend um how you guys are incorporating um like this trend into your platform and if you think it'll continue um in terms of like that like now i i guess it's sort of limited to like stable coins depositing um, their, their dollars into say U.S. treasuries um, and the U.S. treasuries like gain some yield. Um, but you, you think this trend will expand to other avenues where there will be like a whole suite of real world assets being able to be deposited and traded on chain? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, kind of connecting back to the previous conversation, we do not rehypothecate or re-lend collateral yeah. assets. Uh -huh. And because of that, you know, we prefer onboarding interest bearing collateral because that allows the borrower to, you know, get maximum capital efficiency yeah. out of that collateral. Um, of the collateral that we've been taking, as you mentioned, wrap stake ETH is common, SDI is common. 
Um, and we recently also hosted a pilot auction using matrix ports, uh, STBT, short-term T-bill token as mm -hmm. collateral. And that was the first sort of permissioned RWA token mm -hmm. that was used as collateral in a fixed rate auction. Um, high level, I think anything that generates, I guess what I call real yield, whether it comes from off-chain world like T-bills mm -hmm. or it comes from on-chain, you know, activity, I think that's a net positive for the ecosystem. I think mm -hmm. in the previous bull run, it was just crypto people making money from other crypto people. It was yeah. kind of a closed loop system. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. the only people were the people coming in generating liquidity, but then when that flows out, it disappears. Yeah. So to the extent that we can start bringing, you know, off-chain income on-chain, I think that grows the pie for everybody, which is a good thing for the mm -hmm. ecosystem. Um, but yeah, you know, obviously most simple to start with the kind of DeFi native mm -hmm. RWAs, I guess you call it a real yield assets, yeah. like ETH and SDI. But I think, you know, as more of these permission, like RWA tokens come on, you know, I think that will be a major opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's a report from BCG, they were estimating something like this market growing to you know, 10 or 16 trillion. Mm -hmm. which would be like 16 times total crypto market cap. Yeah, that's insane. Um, you know, as people start onboarding, there are a lot of benefits to this RWA because they call it, I think what they're calling it is um, collateral composability or mobility. Uh -huh. When you think about TradFi, you own a house, you can get a mortgage, but it's kind of clunky. You got to call the bank. Mm -hmm. There's this whole process to that. Um, or if you own a car, you have to, you want to get a loan on that. You know, it's a difficult process. Once you tokenize it, it's really simple to just plug into lending platforms like Turn or Aave mm -hmm. to get liquidity out of your tokenized assets. Yeah. So I think tokenization paired with on-chain lending will really unlock a lot of liquidity for people who hold RWAs, and that'll be a big driver. Mm -hmm. And so part of what we want to do is kind of be the rails that allows people to kind of lock in fixed rate borrow costs. Mm -hmm on the RW assets as they start to come into the DeFi ecosystem. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, one of the biggest issues I had uh, with the previous DeFi cycle, I guess people call it DeFi summer, um, was uh, you talk about it a little, but it, it felt like it was very uh, PVP where like the it, it wasn't exactly clear where the yields were coming from. Like you're making quite a bit of money, but on the other end, there are probably people like losing quite a bit of money by, you know, doing doing stuff that made you profitable um but like the, 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 there's this old meme that's like if if you don't know where the yield comes from you're the yield or or, or, or something yeah, like that exactly. um but yeah i i think this push to to generate like actual real sustainable yield whether it's like the real world assets um something as simple as u.s treasuries being able to capture that yield on chain versus like the staked Ethereum, we see the like liquid staking on um, Solana right now uh, take, taking off. Um, I, I feel like at, at the point where where DeFi can point to like certain aspects of what they're providing to to the end user, where like yield is generated here, there, and there, therefore you're making money rather than say just like printing governance tokens, like basically trading money 
printed out of thin air, um, yeah, exactly. which is like the previous cycle. Um, I, I think that it, it may be, it might be less fun for, for the end user, but it, it leads to like a more long-term sustainable, like ecosystem where like more people can, can get in. It's sustainable for them. More institutions Absolutely. or more first-time crypto users can, can get in and like very basically understand the concept that like, yes, I can deposit these assets, but they're generating yield and I can use them as collateral. It's like fairly simple rather than, you know, trading around like the 70th Aave fork with a, like their own governance token, like looping your collateral or, or doing whatever that people were doing in uh, previous DeFi summers. So, um, I, yeah, like... I, Overall, I'd say it's like a pretty bullish um, look on DeFi that like there's so many companies in there and, and there's so many protocols incorporating these assets on chain now. Yeah, for sure. I think it shows the maturity of the ecosystem. Um, and yeah, there'll always still be, you know, those moonshot plays, you know, that'll never disappear from crypto. Mm -hmm. But it's also good to have some, you know, general income flowing into the ecosystem kind of staying in here mm -hmm. to grow the pot. Mm hmm. Uh, so, so before we let you go today, I want to talk a little bit about um, like your future plans for term. Um, is, is there anything in the works? Um, this, some, some stuff I'm thinking about is like new assets you would like to offer in terms of either collateral or assets being able to borrow. New features, possibly moving cross chain, like or at least using uh, different chains. Is there going to be a token? Is there going to be an airdrop? I, I, I feel like the, the, there's always demand. Like it's like airdrop token season. Um, so, so yeah, I felt like I had to ask. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, um, so in terms of multi-chain, we are currently getting that wrapped up um, and we'll be deploying on L2s, you know, relatively early in the new year. Mm -hmm. uh, we're thinking potentially base as that first chain, mm -hmm. but um, you know, there's this blast L2 coming out. Maybe that'll be a, an interesting opportunity. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see where we deploy, but you know, that should be coming pretty shortly. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of features, I think another feature that we'll be coming out with is making it easy for passive lenders to get involved with term. Mm -hmm. You know, right now it takes a relatively sophisticated user to come every week and participate in the auctions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, create some sort of a listing contract where Lenders who obtain lending tokens through an auction can then resell it mm -hmm. and then allowing passive users to just come, you know, whenever they want to, to come buy those tokens okay. and earn the are, are you saying like, so, so for example, that the lender can sell their position like midway through the term of a loan? Exactly. Okay. And then some of them might even do this as part of just like a distribution process. Yeah, I see. I see. Okay. Distribute to, you know, more passive users. Uh-huh. Um, so, so yeah, it'll, it'll be set up as like a secondary marketplace for like like loans. Essentially, you'll be able to trade debt back and forth between users. Yeah, well, I don't like to use the word secondary market, but yes. Okay, uh, exactly. Fair, fair. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, and now I think that'll make a better user experience for more passive lenders mm -hmm. um, to help kind of increase liquidity. Mm -hmm. um, I think there'll always be a group of people who like to play in the auctions. Mm -hmm. be active and it'll be good for people who just want to buy the yield and just sit on it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what we're going to be coming out. And then, and then, yeah, I think in the new year, I think a big push will be a, a points program. Um, you know, can't really say where that leads, but you know, <laughs> I think a points program will be a key component of our go to market strategy. Uh -huh. um, 
you know, the first few months since we launched uh, in Q4 has been really proving out product market fit. We've got, you know, quite a bit of user demand, large institutional borrowers, we've proven out the model, been mm -hmm. able to clear very large loans mm -hmm. in these auctions, um, fixed rate loans at scale, which hasn't been done on chain before. Mm -hmm. So I think the next move will be our now let's get out there into the market, spread the word and get people to try out the product. Mm -hmm. Uh, for the listeners or watchers who don't know what a points program is, I, I feel like it's a, a recent trend, but essentially points are uh, pr promised future tokens in case that there's an airdrop for participating in a certain ecosystem or protocol related um, activities, I, I guess you'd call it. So, so like if uh, I, I'm not going to speak on Dion or, or terms um or term here, but like in general, if, if you were to participate in a few of the auctions, if you were to provide liquidity, if you were to borrow, um, you could possibly be earning points, which would uh, generate um, future tokens, possibly. Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but uh, that's essentially the, the idea of, of generating points. Would you, would you say that's accurate? <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, before we go today, um, for the the users who who don't know you or don't know anything about term finance, um, could you let them know like where where to find updates, how to participate in these auctions? I think you mentioned the auctions are like Wednesday, Thursday. Um, yep, Wednesday, Thursday. There's a auction that will be closing tomorrow mm -hmm. um, at noon. That will be one of them is USDC against Rapstake ETH, mm -hmm. and the other. Or oh, actually, it's Thursday. It's already over. Shoot. Next week. <laughs> yeah. Come back next week. But yeah, the, the website is app.term.finance. Uh -huh. You can also follow us on Twitter, uh, term underscore labs. Uh -huh. And we, we kind of post all of our auction results on a weekly basis. Uh -huh. We post announcements for new upcoming auctions. Uh -huh. So definitely check us out on Twitter. Um, and yeah, hopefully we see you guys, you know, try out the protocol. Yeah, it sounds good. Um, so in case you have some like wrapped uh, staked Ethereum, you want to borrow some assets on, you don't want to deal with the variable cost of Aave, um, like every well, Wednesday or Thursday, you can log on to Term Finance to see if you can get those uh, loans uh, at decent prices and uh, go from there. Uh, I appreciate your time today on coming on the podcast. Um, yeah, it was a great talk. And I, I really like DeFi protocols that are doing something unique. Um, and I feel like Term really falls under that category. Um, like uh, one of the, the issues I have with DeFi is it's very repetitive. Um, there isn't much innovation. Um, so it's always nice and refreshing to, to talk with uh, uh, founders of protocols that are doing something new for the space. Thank you, I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed um, being on this podcast and uh, being able to chat with you.